Why are you so into Pino? <laughs> I mean, it's like a thing with you. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, it's a hard grape to grow, as you know, right? So it's, uh, it's thin skin, temperamental, ripens early. It's, you know, it's not a survivor like Cabernet, which can just grow anywhere and uh, thrive even when it's neglected. No, Pinot needs constant care and attention. You know, and in fact, it can only grow in these really specific little tucked away corners of the world. And, and only the most patient and nurturing of growers can do it, really. Only somebody really takes the time to understand Pino's potential can then coax it into its fullest expression. And then, I mean, oh, its flavors, they're just the most haunting and brilliant and thrilling and subtle and ancient on the planet. Now, I mean, you know, Cabernets can be powerful and exalting, too, but they seem prosaic to me for some reason, <laughs> by comparison. I don't know. web and this is my co-host mike our trilogy continues with a film that i've been badgering mike about for some time now it's sideways one of my favorite films uh, of all time it, it really is it's very mean i don't think it's as influential or as well crafted as maybe something like you know a seven samurai but it was very influential to me uh sideways um i remember the first time i saw it uh, because I was very much into Criterions at the time, it was really, it was the summer of Criterions for me uh, when I first got into them, and uh, that's all. That was the only thing that mattered. Uh, those films were the only thing that mattered. And all of a sudden, I watched this color film from this century of that year, and boom! And of course, I didn't even watch it in the theaters. It came out on uh, DVD, and a buddy of mine was like, "Hey, this is uh, uh, Matt, um, the uh, the composer of our wonderful theme, who." Uh, told me like i think you'll like this and sure enough uh, uh it, it hit me in a big way what about you what was your first experience with sideways did you get to see it in theaters am i am i gonna be jealous i did not i uh i did not i avoided it i i don't think that i was particularly that high on election as a teenager when it came out i, I think i enjoyed it but it wasn't you know alexander payne was not someone that whatever he did next, like, oh, I have to see it. And certainly not something about two middle-aged men um, taking a uh, an excursion uh, before lifetime commitments, uh, at least for one of them, and Thomas Hayden Church's character, uh, 
to wine country for for middle aged white dude adventures because this came out when I was twenty one years old. And so <laughs> I was just, you know, both hands up, like, eh, not for me. I, I wasn't judging, but uh, I, I felt like no, this is just I know nothing about wine. What am I going to get out of this? And so I, I think I caught up with it probably within the a year of its release, somewhere around video, where you know I'd seen the acclaim and it, it won best adapted screenplay. Uh, Virginia Madsen had been nominated. Um, Thomas Hayden Church, though, curiously not Paul Giamatti. Yeah, he a nomination for Sideways. Right, I think he so, got a um, oh, what do they call it? One of those like makeup uh, honorary uh, nominations for Cinderella <laughs> Man. Maybe the next year. I think that was kind of his like, oh, we fucked. I've never up. seen that. Me neither. Uh, that's that's also you know me making a judgment against old timey boxing. I guess where I'm like, not for me. I'm I'm too hip for that. I have a distinct memory of watching Sideways on video. I think, I don't want to say it was a blind buy because I just mentioned all the acclaim, but it was one of those like, maybe it was on sale at Target. And I'm like, all right, you got me pain. I guess I'll get around to watching your little wine movie. <laughs> and I was watching it alone, eating a frozen pizza. <laughs> 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 Which I felt like put me as far away as possible from these two characters. And I, I have that distinct memory because I thought, well, this is absurd. And I'm like, really into this movie but clearly i've i'm not i'm not one of these guys unless you say that i'm a thomas hayden church type which brings its own you know its own problems like when i mentioned that on rewatch this morning to my wife i'm like yeah i guess you know i've always been more his type and then the shenanigans he gets into she's raising an eyebrow like really more and i'm like well not that not that just <laughs> <laughs> Just that he doesn't understand wine. That's it. That's it. So no, I was I was late to the game. I love coming into these podcasts telling you that I watched American Splendor and uh in theaters and getting to play that hip card on you, yeah. but not this time. I'm sitting at home, bought it from Target, eating a frozen pizza, enjoying sideways as it was meant to be seen. Did you uh well, no, I, I assume that you love it because that's the only opinion that I can handle right now. <laughs> this is my favorite film of uh two thousand four. Right. Like, um... uh, whatever Twitter did one of those a few years ago, like the what's your favorite movie from like every year of your birth? That and that's that's my only memory because it's hard for me as we get older to be like, What was my favorite movie of nineteen ninety six? Well, I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah. But this is the one that stuck out. Um and it's so rewatchable. I watch yes. it probably at least at least once a year. I go back to it. I because I watched it when I was kind of in my ooh, lowest like emotional point during uh, college, and so obviously the Miles character and Paul Giamatti's performance just absolutely like it <laughs> dug its heels. This is so funny. <laughs> I'm saying I'm nothing like these old folkies, and you're saying as a college student. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you aligned with Paul Giamatti. That's strange and sad. I, I don't know, Webb. Uh, I guess it's strange and sad at the time, but in retrospect, I don't know. It just made a lot of sense. And so I was extremely worried when I rewatched this recently. I was worried that I wasn't going to be able to connect to it because I'm so far removed from that individual. I mean, granted, we all get into those uh, moods where we go right back to a specific time in our youth, but... I was worried because I wasn't going to be able to connect to Miles anymore. I'm in a, such a different place in my life. Happily married. Yes. Child, successful podcast. Exactly. The number one movie podcast on the internet currently. <laughs> Certainly. The number one discussion podcast, really, if you want to. <laughs> and 
I w- wish they could have seen your face when you said that. <laughs> uh, but you know what? It it took me right back to that place, but not in a bad way. Uh, and the film absolutely stands on its own, despite the fact that I can no longer connect to it on that level. But I still empathize to such a degree that it's still very personal to me. And boy, Virginia Madsen's performance, I think even more so than Paul Giamatti at this point in my life, is the one that sticks out so much to me. And uh, we'll kind of talk about this a little more in our wrap-up, but a lot of what she kind of has to go through uh, in terms of kind of almost restarting her life, that character has to take a stand and, and know that maybe she made a mistake, step back, and redo things. And so that's an incredibly brave decision. And you, so many people are unhappy and they decide like they're just going to stick it out and they're going to make the best of it. And it's a tough decision to start from the ground up again. And I feel like that's what she does. So kudos to her and just what a performance. And and I, when I first saw this movie, I was like, why isn't Virginia Madsen the biggest movie star in the world? <laughs> that's how much in love with her I was at that point. And, and still am to this day. I hadn't seen Candyman at that time. And uh, because and after that movie, I started searching for everything that Paul Giamatti did. And, and that's how I got into American Splendor. And then I started looking at Virginia Madsen and was shocked to see that there wasn't as much, uh, I guess, as a, much of a variety of her work out there, or as, at least as acclaimed. And Candyman was one that really stuck out, and she was a starring and a starring female lead, a starring lead, really. And God, what a great uh, a horror movie! And she's wonderful in it. And so I'm excited for that remake. And of course, Thomas Hayden Church. Uh, very, I started looking into him as well. And then, thankfully, he's got a lot of movies where he's. Not heavily featured, but he drops in and, and gives you a little something. Something like um, Easy A. Like, I loved seeing him in that. I had read somewhere before that he, I guess with uh, his Wings money, his syndication yeah. <laughs> returns, that he, before Sideways, he was just thinking of just kind of stepping away from it. All like, he seems like a dude that just wants to work in things that sound interesting to him. And I, I guess if you have... You know, that that's the web, uh, the motto. If Webb was a, a, a talent manager in Hollywood, he would steer them towards sitcoms because <laughs> <laughs> that would be your field. Um, it, but this is one that I think revitalized his, his interest in acting, For as I, as I recall. Um, and it's – to some degree, it's the showiest part. It, it's almost the opposite of Virginia Madsen. Virginia Madsen gets the <clears throat> the best scene, maybe the best written scene, which we'll talk about later. But Thomas Hayden Church, he is the one that, for the most part, is ramping up the conflict in every scene. Yeah. And, and yet he also plays it as if he's the one trying to cool down the conflict, too, because he, he gets poor Miles all revved up and then tries to, to, to cater to him a little bit. He tries to comfort him in a way. Uh, it's a delicate balance that he's he's playing here. Virginia Madsen, I think what's most interesting about the character of Maya is that, you know, this is a very masculine film. And it's it's a particular form of, you know, maleness that resides in the pathetic <laughs> realm of self-loathing. And that, that's for both characters, even though they're very different. Uh, both Miles and Jack. Like, Miles is more open about wanting to stay uh, within that realm of negativity that he's often accused of by his, his college friend, his you know, almost lifelong friend at this point. 
But Jack, you know, he he also lashes out and he guises it. Like in one, there's one scene where he he says that you know basically the sins he's committing committing on this uh, week long sort of bachelor jaunt that they're on is he's guided by his instincts because he's an actor. Like, you know, <laughs> That's he, right. It's like it absolves him of the thoughtlessness of what he's doing to other people in his life because he has to go with his gut. And if Miles would just go with his gut, you know, things would be better for him. Which it's funny because neither one of these men are necessarily good for the other because even on the many rewatches I've had, you know, Miles starts to get on my nerves oftentimes where I I'm find myself in Jack's shoes where I'm saying, dude, just do not drunk dial your ex when you're on a date with a woman that you've had a crush on for this long, like this self-sabotage would get infuriating to me. But Jack also has the self-sabotage where it's one thing. And, you know, thankfully my wife doesn't listen to our podcast, but no. it's, <laughs> it's one thing. If this guy says, I want to get laid one last time on my bachelor party, you could almost understand it. But I, and I feel like the miles character well, it kind of offends his sensibilities because he's at such a, a low point and he basically just wants someone to share his life with. He even gives him that, but it's when he starts talking about starting a new life together with this woman he just met 24 hours prior where you do start to see like a there's a sickness, there's a deficiency in this man who, from the outside perspective, would have everything that Miles should aspire to. But they're both like incredibly needy men and you compare that to Maya, who you opened with, saying that she's gone on this journey herself. She's gotten out of an unfulfilling marriage. She's you know, chasing her passion. She does it with just like this sort of calm, this quiet, that didn't work out, so I'm doing this now. And, and I don't think, and I, I say this for real men and men in film, that's not the way men would handle it. I think they have to shout to the heavens. They have to bask in self-pity. And there is... Maybe a societal expectation that, you know, women should know better. Boys will be boys, but women just get on with things, get on with their business. And I think that's why, unfortunately, Virginia Madsen, it's almost like it's not showy enough of a part. And maybe, as you're saying, maybe that's her career. Maybe she just, she comes in, she just does her job like a professional, and <laughs> she doesn't have the broken nose and the weeping moment that Thomas <laughs> Hayden Church has. No. <laughs> very uh, loudly when he has that moment in the bar where he's like listen i think we can we can make a life out here i can uh, you know buy a winery essentially and you can run it and i'll do this bar and in that moment i am also very much swayed by the character like that could happen this could be the best movie ever <laughs> you know in fact it would actually ruin the movie completely like that's nonsense and so I also very much agree with you. I get swept right into that uh, train of logic. I was like, yeah, that could be great. No, it doesn't really work out that way. 
And because it doesn't, it kind of opens the film to uh, reveal what it really is. It's that journey of the character of of Miles, thankfully. Uh, The film starts with a knock at the door, and it ends with a knock at the door. And and the journey in between is so profound. Um, And I love also the little things. While you spend an inordinate amount of time with Miles, and you kind of have a good idea of the kind of person he is, the little bits of the hint that we get about his life. And and you kind of see it with his semi-autobiographical uh, book that he's desperately trying to get published. Uh, some of the most haunting moments are the ones that feel almost like a throwaway. Maya's final voicemail to him. And these little clues make the film that much more of a feast. Like this, this wonderful exotic thing that you get to kind of think about and it sticks with you there's no hand holding throughout this film uh, it's very much a a visual feast uh, something like miles taking the money from his mother's house because he knows exactly where it's hidden and then the gut punch when she asks him if he needs some more money it's such a you get to really see this character through completely unblemished and and what's the opposite of rose-colored glasses completely clear a completely clear uh lens you know keeping on that that train of thought as far as the way the film treats masculinity these are two men looking for caretakers in some regard and i I don't necessarily mean in a romantic sense because i think they're also looking towards each other each other to guide them to the place they feel that they need to be you know, Jack, I think he does feel there's something in Miles. There's a reason this friendship has kept up, even though Miles later in the film says, you know, it's kind of pure happenstance. This is a guy that I just happened to be assigned to room with in college. And he's basically saying, look, we come from two different <clears throat> two different worlds. But I do think that Jack has a respect for Miles. Uh, but that also, that respect turns to anger as well because it's like <laughs> it's like he has respect for his intelligence, uh, his insight, all the things that he can know and sort of show to his friend about uh, about wine. I think he says literature, but <laughs> he says later in the film, "But you don't know my plight." <laughs> <laughs> yes, is, what a great scene! His his plight is that he just has to plant a seed as as far as he can. He just like he he has a, a, a sexual addiction problem at least in the span of this week. Yeah, both men are looking for someone else to sort of point them in the right direction here. And I think that's probably contributed to some of their failings in their relationships as well. Like what is it about Jack? He's engaged to this woman who appears to come from a very well-off family, old-fashioned and traditional, where like her family is going to set him up in their business, and he's going to be financially set. But he even says it's going to be very incestuous because his whole life will revolve around the family. Uh, what is it about that guy who can then decide he will become this uh, adoptive father to this new woman he met 24 hours later? And, you know, it's it, it makes me, you know, you said that you, you kind of got swept away with Jack's fantasy life that he was like riding out for them. I was Paul Giamatti in that instance where I'm standing outside the car, just staring at that like bowling alley, just disgusted. Like I'm just, it's almost like this <clears throat> person that you've involved in your life. You get that feeling that's often said in other movies, like where you don't even know them anymore. 
and it's it's alarming and you know it's concerning to to miles in particular because he has to feel that he's going to take some sort of sense of ownership uh even though he has no real influence over jack in this spree that you know him bringing him up there is going to do serious harm to his life going forward it's going to break up a marriage which in miles worldview that has been his whole world is the dissolution of his his marriage so yeah i mean i think it's you know, often, you know, times like Fight Club is something that's brought up as far as like an attack on like modern masculinity. Uh, Sideways is not as cool. It was probably never hanging on dorm room uh, walls, except maybe yours, Webb. <laughs> Sideways up. But I, I think it's very much in line with something like Fight Club in that way where uh, it's looking at, at men as as little children still that have not been set right and basically have to like graft on to someone else to like make a life for themselves good or bad i mean you can see that as like a romantic thing or you can see it as incredibly sad i think it's a mixture of both i mean it's just like the miles character like all of his infatuations have even wine itself is tinged with the thought of of death and something that you know as they say will peak you know this yes. will have the appropriate time period but then it's over and um, I think for him, you know, he's, he's thinking that, um, his life has already peaked in some way and that he'll never, he'll never get back there. It's just a slow descent at this point. And that's a great, um, uh, thing that you hit upon the, I think, and I think the phrasing is the slow, inevitable decline. And what a heartbreaking moment in, in the restaurant, the, the fast food restaurant. It, it really, another thing that hit me like a ton of bricks and, and you know, I think about, and I, boy, I mentioned this movie a lot, In the Mood for Love, A Seventh Seal, uh, uh, Passion of Joan of Arc, these films that, like, affected me emotionally, and then Sideways is right up there with the greats, uh, and that's one of those sequences that really hurt, um, and a lot of it also... You don't like to uh, drink your bottle of 61 with onion rings and a cheeseburger? <laughs> right? No? <laughs> I think frozen pizza is probably more my speed. Mm. I think that's that's the way to go. See, I, I had a total misread of the ending. I, I thought it was a celebration. I thought it was like <laughs> him winning the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that accentuates that scene, and really all of the major ones throughout this film, is the score by Rolf Kent, which is so good. To this day, every road trip I ever take, I'm starting my road trip with that soundtrack. I also mentioned a couple weeks ago uh, where you have casting decisions that really are just home runs, such as the one in About Time, where you've got the clerk at the bakery or the, the shop that our main character goes to. In this one, you've got quite a few of them. But most of all, I think the, I think the MVP is Gary, the bartender. Absolutely love him. It feels like they didn't even hire somebody and he works right there uh i think Ginny, the the uh stephanie's mother also wonderful she has a couple different moments in that bowling scene that i absolutely <laughs> adore so uh just every little I bit love of this film. She, as a uh, you know miles is just doing this or perfunctory nice to meet you uh being polite she's like it was really nice talking yeah. to you. you get the impression that she just you know, she grabbed on to Paul Giamatti's ear and did not let go, <laughs> which I don't know. I mean, you, you, you know, as a young college web, you saw something of Miles. From my perspective, he wouldn't necessarily be someone that looks like he's that engaged with hearing people's life stories. But 
I don't know. Maybe in that instance, he stepped up for his friend Jack. Right, actually, right before that moment, you've got uh, the the Ginny character looking over at Thomas Hayden Church playing with her granddaughter, and she does this little thing. She bites her like lower lip in just like a moment of like this could be it. This might be our future. And just little things like that, where these almost throwaway characters like bring so much life uh, to this entire world. Even the film's ending isn't really a happy ending. It's it's the ending that is the most organic. I don't need to see him have a, a relationship with see, Maya. Or, I think it is a happy ending. I, I think him getting off the couch, making that drive on his own, no one else pushing him. I think that's that's enough. I'm glad you know she doesn't open the door and they don't start making out. <laughs> no. I'm, I, it's just him making the attempt that's enough for me. And he's not wearing a blue shirt. He's wearing a bright orange shirt. It's, it's, it's everything that... The color in your life, Miles. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe it is a happy ending. I do like it. I like it a lot. got into wine through my ex-husband uh-huh. you know he had this big sort of show-off cellar you know right. but then i discovered that i had a really sharp palate mm-hmm. and the more i drank the more i liked what it made me think about like what like what a fraud he was <laughs> no i mean i like to think about the life of wine i like to think about what was going on the year the grapes were growing. How the sun was shining, if it rained. I like to think about all the people who tended and picked the grapes. And if it's an old wine, how many of them must be dead by now? I like how wine continues to evolve. Like, if I opened a bottle of wine today, it would taste different than if I'd opened it on any other day. Because a bottle of wine is actually alive. And it's constantly evolving and gaining complexity. That is, until it peaks. Like you're 61. And then it begins its steady, inevitable decline. And it tastes so fucking good. Yeah. 
Right. You know, I, I, uh, I like other wines besides Pinot, too. Mm. You know, I mean, lately I've been really into Rieslings. You like Rieslings? Rieslings? 